are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 106.7 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7400. 502. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Wednesday afternoon, everybody. Hump Day on the line edition. Lance, how you doing, man? Great, Noah. How are you doing? Doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Our text line at 334 564 one eight four oh almost forgot the last four digits there i say it every day and, and right there had a brain fart but lance great show packed for everybody today we're going to talk about the 2022 football schedules what were some of your takeaways well for starters either the sec hates arkansas or arkansas hates themselves depending on just looking at their schedule i mean they have got a very very tough schedule laid out for them and then obviously uh, as we, we kind of go through here over the next few years, a lot of really fun non-conference matchups have been scheduled, and we're seeing them all the way through week three. We've got some fun matchups going on early in the season. But yeah, overall, I'm pleased with the schedule. Uh, looking up and down, it, it feels pretty even, I feel like, outside in terms of di- difficulty outside of Arkansas, maybe. And you look at Auburn's schedule, they've got five home games to open up the season. So it's going to be fun. I really love the fact that they are scheduling these non-conference matchups early in the season all the way out to, 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 to week three. It's definitely a lot of fun. But yeah, some, some really good matchups, I feel like, uh, early on in the season. Let's first take a look at impressions on Auburn's 2022 football schedule while we get that pulled up. I liked it. I thought, of course, and me and you talked about this yesterday, I don't like the fact that LSU and Georgia are butted up against each other. And even more so, I don't like the fact that Ole Miss is the trap game following the Georgia game. It's like this year, how everybody talked about Arkansas wouldn't be a reprieve after those first two. Ole Miss will be even more of not of a reprieve next season. But all in all, I kind of like the way that it shakes out. I think the front end eases you into it. I think the back end, after you get out of those first three games or so with LSU, Georgia, and Ole Miss, it's something that you can work with. For what's going to be a young team next year, I think it's a favorable schedule for easing them into it. You get to open up against Mercer, then you get San Jose State, which San Jose State coming into this year I think that they're an above average to good Mountain West Conference football team this season will they be that way next year there's just so much turnover in group of five programs on average so it's hard to kind of peg what San Jose State will look like next season but after that you get Penn State at home they're going to be going through some turnover as well on their football team they were one of the more experienced teams bringing back a lot of talent from last year's squad you've got an opportunity to win a big game at home there the shoes on the other foot right after that you get Missouri a middle of the pack to below average SEC East program that should be a winnable football game and then you've got LSU at home as well and who knows what the LSU program is going to look like next year but turnover is something that every team in the sec has to deal with and they may not they may not have the same head coach next year right so that lsu game still very well could look winnable at home next season five home games to start a year that's going to help ease in a young team 
Yeah, absolutely. And when when you look at the schedule, I mean, I like the way that the schedule lines up in terms of when Auburn plays uh, their opponents. But I want to look real quick. I want to throw just uh, some other scheduling notes out there real quick. And here's who Auburn's 2022 SEC opponents play the week prior to playing Auburn. Alabama will have played Austin P. Arkansas will be coming off a bye. Georgia will have played at Mizzou. LSU will have played New Mexico. Ole Miss will have played at Vandy. Mississippi State will be coming off a bye. Missouri will have just played Alabama Christian. And Texas A&M will have played Florida. So you look at five of those eight teams have essentially, not essentially two weeks to prepare, a couple of them coming off byes, but some of them coming off of pretty easy non-conference matchups. So when you look at Auburn's schedule, I, I do like it. I do like the fact that we get five games, home games to open up the season. You've got Missouri and LSU to kind of put in Penn State to kind of get things together before you go on the road and play Georgia. But you get eight home games, so if you're a season ticket holder, that's going to make you smile. Right, but, but when you look at what these teams are doing before they play Auburn, it does make it slightly more challenging, and I do like that. I, I, I like easing Auburn into a schedule with five home games, and, but at the same time, I think this team is going to have some competition. What I don't like about this schedule, of course, I already mentioned this, LSU at Georgia and at Ole Miss, but here's the thing. Auburn asked for this. When they moved Georgia out of November, they asked for this. And many people out there were saying, well, be careful what you wish for, and the SEC is not going to cater to every little need that Auburn has on its schedule, right? Auburn asked for this, and you have no control over whether or not LSU and Georgia get butted up next to each other or or Texas A&M and Georgia get butted up next to each other. I saw a tweet earlier today where somebody was saying that there should be space, it should be balanced out, there should be space between LSU, Georgia, Texas A&M, and Alabama. But I thought to myself, the SEC is not just going to cater to you and give you your most favorite schedule. You, you know, you know your favorite schedule. That they're not going to give you exactly everything that you want, and that that's not how it has spit out here. LSU at home, of course, at Georgia, and then at Ole Miss. Those are three tough games. But you asked for this. I'm after two or three years now removed from having the last time that we saw Georgia and Alabama in the same it's been two years now but at the time that this schedule will be taking place it'll have been three years now seeing three schedules rolled out since you last played Georgia in November I don't like this I wish it was the other way you do like you prefer to have Georgia in, in November. It's yes. more comfortable that way. One hundred percent. I feel like in a situation like this, with the, with next year's schedule, you know, you get those th- uh, five home games, and in terms of competition, it kind of builds, right? It goes from Mercer to San Jose State to Penn State at home to Missouri, then to LSU, and then you're ready for that Georgia game on the road. Uh, like you said, that Ole Miss game right before the bye. Uh, we're looking at that as a potential trap game right away. That could be interesting, but I don't. I don't feel either way about it. Um, I, I do feel like it's it is fun to have that November stretch where you get to play Georgia and Alabama, and it's it's tough, and it's your, your team kind of builds toward that. But I, I do enjoy this next season having those five games, and it kind of build up to where you're prepared, I guess, mentally and physically for that Georgia game. Let's head to the phone lines now. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Specter calling in early here into the show. Specter, how you doing? I'm doing good. Listen, uh, I was want to talk to you about that schedule. You're talking about moving Georgia around? Yeah. When exactly did that take place? When did that change or request came in? Uh, well, let's see. Last time 
Auburn played Georgia in November, I think was 2018, right? Like it's been a little while. Because in 2019, I'm trying to think. No, that game was played in November too. Yeah, so 2019 was the last time it was played in November. So it it happened, you know, a good three, four seasons ago. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. You remember when we played Georgia and Alabama and we, we had to win those two games? And we did, and we got in there, and we had to end up playing Georgia again. Yeah, in 2017. And, and I, I'm thinking maybe we were trying to avoid that from happening again. Yeah. And the reality of it is, though, I mean, if you make it to the SEC championship, you're still going to you're gonna be playing a good football team on the other side, sometimes great. And, and I don't think Auburn can avoid Georgia anymore. Even if, even if Auburn plays Georgia – game five this year I think we're all looking around thinking that Auburn's going to play Georgia again in the SEC championship and so I don't know if it matters whether or not it was eight weeks apart or you know three or four weeks apart you know yeah well I was just going by the injury you know when uh our running running back back then he was exhausted that's right I still think that year was kind of a unique circumstance, but um, you, which would you prefer, Spectre? Would you prefer it the way it is right now where you're playing in uh, late September, early October, or would you prefer it back yeah, in November? I'm, I'm just so used to amen corner. That yeah. it's, I, matter of fact, I was kind of sad when Florida kind of got out of the schedules. We played Florida, Georgia, and Alabama there at the end, and uh, I'm, I'm always used to that, and and – we're going to play the best, but let's play them, let's play them all together. But uh, we've got the team to do it with. We can we can beat all three back-to-back. I mean, we did it We did it once. We could do it. I mean, if we had that running back was healthy in that game, in Georgia game, in the championship game, we would have won that game. Yep. And, and I just don't think and, – and I'm with you. I just don't think it matters when you play these teams about whether or not you're going to beat them. Of course, it, it's tough to play Georgia and Alabama back-to-back, but – even when you had Georgia and Alabama in November, sometimes you split them up with a bye week. Sometimes you split them up with a scrub game like Alabama A&M or somebody like that. Like it wasn't always Georgia, then Alabama the next week. But I, you can remember a handful of occasions where some pretty special things happened, like you're talking about with Amen Corner. I mean, Auburn rose to the challenge a lot of times. I just I don't think that that was a problem with the Auburn schedule in the past. Yeah, maybe so. But anyway, I just want to comment on that. Appreciate it, Spectre. That was Spectre on the line with us. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Lance, thoughts about that? Yeah, I, I agree with Spectre. I mean, I just kind of – at, at some point after seeing Georgia and Alabama in November, it's like you, you kind of do get tired of Amen Corner at some point, and it's nice to have a, a little bit of a, of, a, of a reprieve, I guess. But like you said, and it, I think it's a really good point, uh, you're going to play a really good opponent in the SEC championship if you do manage to get there. So – uh, at the end of the day, when you get to November, it's going to be pretty difficult at the end regardless. I'd also rather be playing them at the end of the season when I feel like my team has I- I- at least reached a point of, of midseason form or late-season form. has, and, and, of course, there could be injuries. There's a number of things that could happen. Anybody could come up with an, with an excuse about why Auburn might fail to beat Georgia at the end of the year if it was stuck back there. But my thing is... Would you like to be opening up your SEC schedule now for two straight years against LSU and Georgia? Is that what you want? I don't think so. No, but, but I'd rather be into my schedule with Alabama and Georgia for this for this next specific year. Though I do like the way it sets up. Again, I I, I really like how the competition just kind of builds in terms of quality up into uh, up to that LSU and then Georgia game. And having LSU at home, I think it's really nice. 
to, to kind of build, okay, now we're going to Georgia, we're going into this road environment. Uh, I, I like it for next year, but for schedules in the future, I can I can imagine having Georgia and LSU, is, it, depending on the, the teams around them, is probably not going to be the most comfortable thing in the world. Looking at the full Auburn football schedule for next year, I guess we should actually run through it all rather than just kind of pinging around on it. They open up against Mercer, then it'll be San Jose State, Penn State, Missouri, and LSU in their first five all at home. Then you're at Georgia, at Ole Miss. you got a bye week on October 22nd on the other side of that bye week home game against Arkansas at Mississippi State home game against Texas A&M and Western Kentucky and then you are at Alabama to wrap up the 2022 football season that is Auburn's schedule if you got thoughts on it we want to hear from you number to call 334-321-1390 text line at 334-564-1840 what are your thoughts on it also chime in about would you rather be playing georgia in early october late september or would you rather be playing them in amen corner at the end of november with alabama which way now that we've gotten to see a little bit of run of it you know you had last time that these two teams played in november was back in 2019 but you've seen some schedules unravel since then you got them last year this year you're about to see them play in a couple of weeks and then next season of course the game will be played on october 8th after you've gotten to see these schedules a, a little bit what are your thoughts on Auburn playing in October against Georgia, rather, in November? Um, we want to hear from you once again, 334-321-1390 or text line at 334-564-1840. Let's look across the state at the Alabama Crimson Tide and what their 2022 football schedule looks like. They will open up at home for the first time since 2011. No neutral side opener, no road game for them to start the season off. They will be in Bryant-Denny Stadium on September 3rd against Utah State. After that, they'll head to Texas to for the first part of that home-and-home home series with ex-offensive coordinator, former offensive coordinator Steve Sarkeesian. Then they'll play Louisiana Monroe back at home and Vanderbilt as well. After that, they're on the road at Arkansas. Home game against Texas A&M. Road game at Tennessee. Then they'll be back at home in Bryant-Denny before a bye week. They'll be hosting Mississippi State on the other side of the bye week on October 29th. You get into November. These are their last four games at LSU, at Ole Miss, home games against Austin P and Auburn. Takeaways from the Alabama football schedule, Lance. Is there a three-game stretch on nope. the schedule that's difficult at all? It's, no, it's, I mean, the the prior to November, it's, it's very easy, yes. I, I think you would say. You get into November, then depending on what LSU looks like. I mean, the back-to-back -back road games against LSU and Ole Miss will be mm -hmm. interesting but if that's the max that you have to deal with and granted Alabama can't play themselves and they're not having to play Georgia like Auburn does so the, so the schedules always will be imbalanced when you're comparing Alabama and Auburn as until Tennessee actually becomes a reputable program again which may be another 5,000 days with the direction that this program's been going so you get to November and the best that you have to offer is road games to LSU and Ole Miss it's a pretty easy schedule yeah that's what that's what I'm looking at right now it's just there's not there's not a whole lot of competition like you said until they get to November then they've got LSU Ole Miss and then Auburn uh to finish out the year but it, like you said if you can get through LSU and Ole Miss and based on the direction of these programs it's like I, I feel pretty comfortable saying that Alabama will be able to get through this schedule it's not incredibly challenging 
Uh, but that's just kind of the way that sometimes the schedules fall, especially if you're not going to play a neutral site uh, opener uh, as all, uh, Alabama has, as you mentioned, since 2011. And with as many players coming back on Alabama's football team next year, the schedule sets up really nice for them to maybe not even suffer a loss in the regular season. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not looking at this team right now. If I would, if I were going to guess whether or not they they lost a game or 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 went undefeated, I would probably lean towards going undefeated because the schedule just lines up really well. It just them. doesn't look like there's a whole lot of challenge before november and then you get to november and i I like them in road games against lsu and Ole miss and then they have a pretty darn good history against auburn at home over the last 20 years of course but that'll still be a competitive football game and i don't think auburn's going to get shellacked or anything like that there's no way to know this year's not even over yet i'm just saying the schedule sets up really nice for alabama to uh be one loss or better next season there's not a whole lot of challenges on that let's look at some of the other schedules across the league what other takeaways did you have I know you mentioned Arkansas a few minutes ago I actually drew out the eyes emoji on my rundown here at Arkansas schedule because their non-con schedule is fire it is really really difficult I'll just run through it here I love it you. they open the season with Cincinnati at home and they play South Carolina Missouri State then they go play Texas A&M in Arlington. They get Alabama at home, Mississippi State and BYU back-to-back road games. Just BYU, a road trip to BYU. Three straight road games. Look at this, at Mississippi State, at BYU, bye week at Auburn. Right, and then you get the bye week, and then you go to Auburn. And then when you get back home, you're going to be playing Liberty, who is on the fringe of the top 25 right now. Then you finish out the season with LSU, Ole Miss at home, and then at Missouri uh to end the year in november that is a an incredibly tough schedule after week three buckle up I, I, I just don't know how you can be successful under those parameters i mean they ought to beat byu i they may have a good shot against cincinnati in week one in, in all honesty i mean this cincinnati team that we've got right now will probably not be as good next year after some of these pieces leave after this season it's just very hard for a group of five program to sustain the level of success that cincinnati is having over a three-year window did ucf even do that no, no right they, they eventually fell down to what they were last year which was six and four six and five over that 11 game american athletic conference schedule will liberty be as good malik willis isn't going to be there you know so like you look at some of these non-conference games if this was played this year you and I are like oh buddy right but next year they may not be as difficult for Arkansas but they're at least challenging themselves they're not playing the prototypical cupcakes that we might look across the league and see what somebody would be playing on October 15th they're not playing Florida Atlantic they're playing BYU and they're playing them at Provo yeah and I also want to say if you look at the trajectory of this Arkansas program they've got KJ Jefferson coming back they've got a stable of really young and talented running backs coming back that defense should continue to get better I mean it's looking up for Arkansas but that schedule is going to be brutal for them other highlights around the league Missouri has to play four of their first six games on the road next season at Middle Tennessee State at Kansas State Home game against Abilene Christian at Auburn. Home game against Georgia at Florida. Missouri's gonna have gonna potentially be in a hole after the first six. And then you look at the uh, the back half of the schedule. Lightens you get, up. It, it, it lightens up for sure. You get Vanderbilt at home at South Carolina, Kentucky at home at Tennessee, New Mexico State, and then Arkansas at home. But the, like you said, the first half of that schedule is really brutal for Missouri. Tennessee didn't get a whole lot of love either from the SEC on this schedule looking at 2022 over their first six games they will play Ball State at home at Pittsburgh which we saw how this game went at home in Neyland Stadium this year next year is Tennessee going to be that much further along than where they're at this season hard to tell 
but at Pittsburgh that'll be a tough week two game home game against Akron then you've got this stretch of three games Florida by week at LSU Alabama I can see a world where Tennessee is two and four through their first six and all of a sudden in year two under Josh Heupel we're thinking hot seed yeah absolutely uh you you look at that schedule and like you said two and four and then you've got Kentucky Georgia Missouri on the back end you have to play a road game against South Carolina that's not a guarantee road game win. against Vanderbilt that uh, has not been guaranteed uh, <laughs> it hasn't been look it, at the it has I mean, Vanderbilt been recently, won three in a row against them. look at this Vanderbilt team right now though. yeah well, I could still see Tennessee losing to anybody on their schedule sure sure this but, Tennessee team's still not very good <laughs> I I don't know, like you said, I don't know if Josh Heupel is going to be able to to make it through next year's schedule without without potentially being on the hot seat. Let's take a quick break here. We want to hear from you. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Our text line is 334-564-1840. What are your thoughts on the SEC schedules released yesterday for the 2022 football season? Your impressions of Auburn's schedule, Alabama's schedule, whatever's on your mind. Do you like Georgia being a game for Auburn in early October, late September, or would you rather it be back in Amen Corner? All that here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Our text line at 334-564-1840 we want to hear from you thoughts on the 2022 football schedules reveal anything else on your mind in the sports world Auburn still in the midst of their 2021 schedule of course anything going on in the sports world we want to hear from you Lance let's talk about the Alabama Crimson Tide for a little bit you and I asked Jeremy Law this question earlier in the week Jeremy Law Radio Alabama Sports.net but who do you believe to be the biggest threat to Alabama with nine games remaining on their football schedule we were talking about that 2022 schedule with Alabama hard to find a lot of threats a lot of challenges on that schedule it sets up really well for the Alabama Crimson Tide but as I said a few moments ago we are still in the midst of the 2021 season and you're still trying to find some threats for Alabama after Florida potentially exposed some weaknesses this past weekend well let's look at the remaining schedule you've got Southern Miss at home Ole Miss at home, then you're on the road at Texas A&M, then you're on the road at Mississippi State, Tennessee, LSU, New Mexico State, Arkansas, all at home, and then you're on the road to finish the season against Auburn. I think you're probably looking at either that Ole Miss matchup or you're looking at the Auburn game as the two most difficult games remaining on the schedule. And I think I'm going to lean towards Ole Miss because Ole Miss will be coming off a bye, I believe, before they get to play Alabama. And you've got to believe that Lane Kiffin is going to have a lot of things uh, up his sleeve ready to, uh, to, to throw at Alabama in that defense. Elaborate on that. In terms of all of the different schemes, schematically, like all the different things he's going to be able to do. If Yeah, like, what do you think he's going to throw at him? So when you look at Florida and what they were able to do against Alabama, they were able to establish the run. What did Jeremy say? Well, if they if they come up against a dual-threat quarterback that can run for 75 yards on them, I think Alabama's going to have a difficult time. I think they're going to try and dial up some things that get Matt Corral moving, get this offensive line, getting a push with Jerry on Ely or Snoop Connor or Henry Parrish. I think they're going to try and establish the run. Obviously, they have a very potent passing attack, but I think they are going to do a lot of speed things to try and get Alabama off their feet, and they're going to try and establish that run, I think, on the perimeter early. 
and then I think at that point it will start to open up the passing game for Corral and the re- in these really talented receivers. I think it's not going to be oh look at in terms of like things up his sleeve. I don't think he's going to pull out a lot of tricks or anything like that. Not a lot of trick plays. I just think he's going to try and be fast and he's going to try and establish the run and really test this Alabama defensive line. So. I think you can look at three teams that maybe each present something that Alabama could struggle against. Ole Miss, Arkansas, and Auburn. And I want to break down each of these three teams, but I also think that each of these three teams potentially, I don't think we know enough about Ole Miss yet, but I think each of these three teams have potentially a fatal flaw that could prevent them from beating Alabama. Ole Misses, I'm still worried about that defense. They're still giving up points. They gave up points to Tulane. They gave up second half points to Louisville. We're just so, it's so jarring how bad they beat these teams. But on the flip side, they haven't been challenged yet on that side of the football. And we're still seeing them give up some points here early on. I I, I, I want to believe or, or that, that Ole Miss could be able to stifle Alabama enough on that side of the ball. But I, I don't know if they possess the pass rush that Florida does to be able to challenge Alabama enough on offense to keep them from scoring with them. And if this thing goes to a shootout, I will trust the Alabama defense, like last year, to be able to find the couple of spots needed to be able to beat Ole Miss. But I know that's not the question. The question is who is the biggest threat remaining? But I kind of want to take a look at each of these teams and assess how much of a threat they are and what potential flaws that they have to the Crimson Tide. Arkansas is another team that I think does something that could give Alabama some fits. Look at how that offense is built. Is that offense not built very similar to what Florida does on offense? Very similar, actually, yeah. The question is, is it talented enough? Is it as talented as Florida at doing that to be able to consistently push Alabama around up front, get the yards per carry necessary to be able to move the football, bust some big plays on the ground, and then do they have enough of a passing game to complement it to extend drives when you end up into third and five, third and six situations and I just don't know if they do. That's the fatal flaw there. Also, I don't know if that Arkansas defense is good enough also to get enough pressure on the Alabama offense to prevent them from scoring at will. Yeah, and then when you look at Auburn and Ole Miss as well, I think you look at Auburn, obviously they've been able to get into the backfield consistently, and they've gotten a lot of tackles for loss. Believe it or not, Ole Miss is actually tied for 30th in the country right now in sacks per game. They're also 26th in uh, average tackles per loss per game. So while they've not played necessarily elite competition, and, and obviously Alabama is elite competition, they're the best of the best, they have been able to have a lot more success than they did last year on the defensive side of the ball. Do I trust that defense to get them over the hump in this game? No, but it's what held them back in last year's matchup. So if it's, this is going to be a shootout, I do trust Ole Miss, even on the road, to have a little bit more of a chance than they did last year. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, at least five ranked teams have lost every week so far this season. Who could be those five this week? Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. A number to call, 334-321-1390. Our text line at 334-564-1840. Lance, at least five ranked teams have lost every week so far this season. Rank the order of games most likely for a top 25 loss to occur. 
and this weekend. Do you want me to go ahead and just give them all five right here? Uh, we'll we'll take turns. Yeah, back and forth. All right, fifth here. Number five, number nine, Clemson at NC State is my fifth. And the reason that I don't have this one higher is because the way NC State played against Mississippi State a couple weeks ago. Now, do I think that this game is going to be competitive? I think so for the majority of the game. Clemson's not allowed an offensive touchdown yet this season. Going to be interesting to see on the road in in this environment if they're going to be able to to keep uh, this talented NC State offense out of the end zone. I think it's going to be a really fun game. Clemson has not looked polished so far this year. I wonder how big Cinco is going to play on the road. I think this could be a close matchup, and at the end of the day, who knows? Could see a top 25 team fall. Who's four? Go ahead. Number four is number 14, Iowa State at Baylor. Uh, This is a game where Iowa State, they have a really good defense. Their offense has not been playing well. Brock Purdy's not been playing well. But Baylor is currently 3-0 on the season. They've not done anything incredibly uh, special. They've they've just played their competition and beaten them. But this could be a game where Iowa State goes in, and they've just not looked good against good competition so far this season, even subpar competition this year. I just wonder what they're going to look like and if they'll be able to come out on top uh, in, in Waco. Keep taking me through your list. We'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and go through your entire list. Uh, number 24, UCLA at Stanford. This is a game where I really think that Stanford has a shot to go out there and win. They beat USC just a couple of weeks ago. UCLA coming off that loss to Fresno State. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, how does he play in a road environment at Stanford? I don't want to pick this game outright, but I do think Stanford has a really good shot to pull the upset here. I think the line, that one's one of the closest lines of these non uh, of these non top 25 matchups right like between a, a top 25 team and then a team that is not ranked to the top 25 this is the closest line it's four and a half to UCLA and then the these these top two are, are they're both top 25 matchups every single team is yeah ranked, so, so somebody's like somebody's gonna lose uh, I put number seven A&M at or against uh, number 16 Arkansas in Arlington I think this is a game, well, obviously some team's going to lose, but I think this is a game that Arkansas can go out there and win. We've not seen A&M play very well this season. They've got a backup quarterback in. I I really like Arkansas's odds in this one. If I were picking this game, I'd pick the Razorbacks right now. And then number one, no, number 12, Notre Dame at number 18, Wisconsin. I think Notre Dame loses this game, just just flat out. So if Really? Lost, Have you taken time to look at it, or are you just saying that? Because I know yesterday you said you want to look. I did look, and obviously Jack Cohn has had success statistically so far this season will they be able to get it done uh the Notre Dame offense on the road against a pretty good still Wisconsin defense I don't know even if Graham Mertz is terrible I just think at home Wisconsin takes the cake here I'm having a hard time with that Notre Dame Wisconsin game right now because on the one hand I could see that go with and that's in Camp Randall right yes I could see it go Similar to the Penn State game with Wisconsin being able to move the football on the ground, but has that passing game came along just enough for for Wisconsin to be able to keep Notre Dame honest? And I don't know. I know I know Notre Dame has given up some points. They haven't looked great on both sides of the ball. But one thing is for sure, they're athletic. They recruit well, and and I think you would say looking at the two teams and the way that they play football, which team has more athletes out on the edge? Which team has more athletes out on the perimeter? Which team has more speed? And you, you would probably say Notre Dame, right? I know you hate the guys, but you would probably say Notre Dame, right? I don't know. Just really? Based on the way the defense has played so far this season, I don't know. I don't. Uh, Kyle Hamilton is really talented, but I just after after seeing them give up twenty nine to Toledo and thirty eight to Florida State, I just I don't know, man. It's not in Camp Randall. It's played in Soldier Field. Intern Belichick just got me that, so it, it's a neutral site game, which. Uh, 
doesn't help either of those teams I mean it's probably closer to Notre Dame if I had to guess considering South Bend Indiana's right there next to Illinois and then Wisconsin's a little bit more further north but I don't know I, I think on average the way that these two teams play football is different Wisconsin's a little bit the Wisconsin's going to be better in the trenches I would say but I think Notre Dame maybe has more athletes so in the event of Wisconsin trying to be able to stretch the field out if they do try that I think Notre Dame can can stay step for step with them but Wisconsin may not need to stretch the field they may just be able to brute force it all the way through also wonder after a 27 to 13 win over Purdue it looked better this past weekend for Notre Dame right yeah but they 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 it was 17 to 13 with like three minutes left no not three minutes left in the game heading into the fourth quarter rather against Purdue it was it was a it was a typical Notre Dame home game that I've seen for the past three or four years where they play a bad opponent like a Duke like a Pittsburgh like a Boston College and it's a it's a crap shoot until the fourth quarter and they pull away so you are not giving Notre Dame any so your gut is saying Wisconsin all the way yes okay I'm 0-5 against Lansing gut games this year. Is this a gut game? Uh, I'm not you want to put that record on the line? I'm not, You're no, that confident. I'm not saying that it's a gut game because I, I I have stuff to base it on this time. A gut game is where I just don't really have anything to base it on. I'm just like, yeah, I think this team's going to win. I don't okay. know why, but this is a game where I think there's enough out there to prove that, that Wisconsin has a shot in this game. I mean, they are favored, but like... Something's in my guts telling me Notre Dame this weekend. I don't know. After watching Wisconsin play against Penn State, I'm scarred it was bad it was was bad that was and that was absent of anything that Penn State did I left that game thinking that Penn State had a lot of things to work on and that Penn State was fortunate to win it Wisconsin just handed it to them you know and I don't know if this Wisconsin team has improved and and I look at the Wisconsin team last year I'm like week one this year was a continuation of the garbage that we saw for the last four weeks of last year's Big Ten season where Wisconsin lost four straight and couldn't score and it, and it didn't matter who they were playing against. They couldn't score against some below-average competition in the Big Ten as well down that stretch. So I, I, I'm i just I'm torn on this game. It's on my list, obviously, because at least two ranked teams are going to lose this week between Arkansas A&M being a ranked matchup and Wisconsin-Notre Dame being a ranked matchup. At least two ranked teams will lose this week. I don't know what the actual number is going to be. I don't know if, you know, and you look across the, the, the landscape, I think you could see some other games that maybe could factor in that way I didn't include Clemson NC State on my list I left that one off something about last week against Georgia Tech reminded me a little bit of that Auburn Southern Miss rain delay game and for how long the Georgia Tech Clemson game was put on rain delay that's going to take focus away from both teams Georgia Tech saw an opportunity still weren't able to close the gap with the way that NC State played against Mississippi State two weeks ago against that Mississippi State defense which is pretty good I think it is one of the better units in the SEC. I don't think they're going to be able to score on Clemson. And I don't know if at this point in the season, week three, week four now, yeah, week four now, I don't think that the Clemson defense is going to buckle just yet. At some point, if this offense doesn't come along, which I I still don't fully expect it to come along in this game against NC State, it will buckle. The defense will be like, man, why am I playing for you guys, right? And they will lose to someone on a – on this ACC schedule that they shouldn't a Pittsburgh a Syracuse whoever it may be we've seen it in the past eventually they will lose I just don't I think it's too early in the year there's still a lot to play for do you want to run me through your list real quick yeah so at five I went with UCLA Stanford I know you had them a little bit higher than this something about this game the way that these two teams match up Stanford's given up a lot of yards on the ground rushing at this point it's either in the high 100s or early or low 200s right now in terms of yards per game was UCLA want to go out there and do they want to run out they want to run the football right 
the way that Stanford played against Vanderbilt this past weekend gives me pause that was close that was tied for a large portion of the ballgame of course Stanford pulled away but still Vanderbilt was able to score 23 on them what could UCLA do you know Vanderbilt is not a good football team at all they are one of the worst teams in all of football like Kansas level I think after what we've seen to start this year and they were able to hang with Stanford for a little bit maybe the USC game between uh, against Stanford was a bit of a fluke that that I think that's very possible and um UCLA I think matches up really well for them so I know the line's pretty close Vegas typically knows something but uh I, I, I think with this I, I have I'm less confident my gut tells me that UCLA is going to bounce back in this one after that I get into the big 12 Oklahoma State is favored by six points right now over Kansas State and once again I go back to Vegas no stuff all right it's not always right but sometimes you look at a line and you're like man Vegas was scary close to this right those guys are very good at their jobs and for Oklahoma State to be favored by a touchdown at home against a ranked Kansas State team sure that could be luring me in on the other side to say up you know Kansas State ends up still winning and it, and it you know is luring people into a false sense of security in betting right but at home Oklahoma State just beat Boise State maybe they're turning the corner I think they play a good brand of defense I think both of these I think this is going to be a nasty low scoring game but the Big 12 is weird man and this just seems like a game that a that the ranked Big 12 team would lose that we've seen in the past right yeah absolutely and you look at you look at Oklahoma State I mean all their games have been decided by one score but you look at the two opponents that they played that actually have some significance Tulsa took Ohio State down to the wire it was 27-20 late in that game uh, with with Ohio State winning, Boise State is no slouch. Uh, and then you look at Kansas State; they beat Stanford to open the season. They yeah. beat uh, just last week a pretty good uh, Nevada team with a uh, what some people are saying is an NFL quarterback on their roster and Carson Strong. So this should be a fun game. I like that pick. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun. The reason I left it off is just the way that Oklahoma State's been playing. If they're gonna be in these one score games, I don't expect them to start the season four and zero. I think this is gonna be close. So. It's true. It's just does the does how many the, one score games can you actually win right, before does, a loss does happens? Does the luck bounce their way a fourth time? And but I'm not leaving it out of the realm of possibility. Obviously, like you said, they're favored by six, so there's definitely there's definitely something to look at there for sure. Three on my list: Baylor, Iowa State, and you had that one on your list, right? I had it at four, yes. Yeah, and what gives this one so much potential is Baylor is scoring, and they're running the ball really well. They're averaging a, a ton of rush yards per game at this point they're averaging like over 500 yards of offense per game they're scoring the ball well high 40s in points per game Iowa State's offense has struggled out of the gates I know they put up like 48 on an 0-3 UNLV team this past weekend defense I don't think either I think Iowa State's definitely got the better defense going into this season and the way that it's played up to this point I still think it is the better defense Baylor hasn't really been legitimized by its competition it's got good numbers on that side of the football but as you know track record from big from your average big 12 team is that Baylor's probably their defense is probably not that good the question is can Iowa State stop Baylor at home and if they can't I think the way that Iowa State's offense has been has been playing, it has not been because the defenses that they have played are great. They played an FCS team out the gate, only scored 16. They turned the ball over four times against Iowa. Sure, Iowa had something to do with forcing those turnovers, but a lot of that is mistake-driven and self-driven. And right now, this Iowa State team against uh, two of the three teams that they've played up to this point, they have had a lot of miscues. And if they have those same types of miscues against a team that can score like Ole Miss – well, and and, I, and it's the Big 12 equivalent, right? Baylor can score, 
Can they play defense? Probably not. But if they can put up enough points, I could see Baylor pulling this one. I just, yeah, I, I really like this matchup for Baylor because you look at this Iowa State offense, it's just not been very good. And Brees Hall is only averaging four yards a carry, and he's on pace for 260 or two, 260-ish attempts uh, this season. This offense has just not been able to get it going. Yeah, I like Baylor. If they're able to establish the run against this really good Iowa State defense, uh, this could be a game where Iowa State gets upset. I mean, averaging 561 total yards of offense 323.7 yards rushing 237.3 yards passing 46.7 points per game they look good have they played anybody no they played texas state texas southern and kansas and since that first game against texas state where they didn't look great they've blown out their last two opponents kansas and texas state if they two played i don't know who would win that game right but i think baylor's gotten better i just don't know what to make of them going into this game all i know is They've got a pretty good offense. The defense is probably average. Right, and it's going to be a fun matchup because Iowa State currently fourth in the country in rushing, rushing yards allowed per game, yeah. just a little over 50 there. And then like you mentioned, Oh, no, Baylor, it's under. It's at 49.3. Baylor's averaging over 300 yards rushing a game. I mean, Clash this, of styles. This is going to be a clash of styles. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I think the Iowa State defense is legit because you go back to that Iowa game, they held Iowa to a grand total of... 173 yards currently first in the nation i believe in total yards allowed per game yeah so i think the iowa state defense is legit based off who they played once again the offensive miscues though is what concerns me and if baylor can get into a rhythm at home like you said i think there's a real possibility here for an upset in waco let's take a quick break here when we come back we wrap up our number one Wrapping up our number one of On the Line, Lance Gaughan, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama 98.3 FM. If you missed any of the show so far, go and find your podcast, or go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. We're going to continue talking about potential upsets this weekend, some top 25 games that could go wrong. Notre Dame, Wisconsin, Texas A&M, Arkansas, UCLA at Stanford, Iowa State at Baylor, Clemson at NC State, Oklahoma State, Kansas State. A lot of really fun matchups this weekend. Noah, who was your number one? Uh, Wisconsin, Notre Dame. Wisconsin, uh, of course, Notre you got Dame. two ranked on ranked matchups, of course. And it's it's going to be it's going to be a fun game uh, a fun game this weekend. Notre Dame, Wisconsin. Your gut tells you Notre Notre Dame though. You're officially going to put your gut on the line. Yeah, I think Notre Dame beats Wisconsin this All weekend. Right. I don't know what that is about this game, but something. I, Notre Dame just they get by. Do they we, get by. Should we start a sub pool of pick'em games where it's <laughs> it's our collective games and then the gut games? We well, decide? I haven't listened to my gut yet. I have not listened to my gut yet, we, and I have been wrong every stinking time. My gut is undefeated against me and uh i am i'm riding with it this week i'm afraid to pick another good game at any point this season because i'm undefeated and I, I just want to say at the end of the year yeah i never got one of those wrong but i i do want to take a look back at some point uh before before we uh we start saturday selections here i believe tomorrow we're going to do them because we've got some thursday games we're going to want to pick but just to kind of look at the standings uh, I believe that that Sting and I have kind of kind of made some separation. But if you want to pick some more gut games, you could probably get back into it because you've seen the gut. The is power of the right. gut. Yeah, it's yes. usually it's a like your flow thing. chart. So back during the summer, we had your flow chart. Now we have the power of the gut. I've been talking about that a little bit off air about the the, the flow chart, and I said jokingly back in the spring, I was like, you know what? I'll bring it back. I'll bring it back for for college football. But after after thinking about it, it doesn't really apply to a lot of games that 
that we pick. So it's it's not it's not going to prove to be successful that very often. So it, it's not something that uh, that that I'm going to bring back. But I will say the gut is here to stay. I like it. Take me through A and M. A and M and Arkansas. It's going to be a fun matchup. Obviously, uh, w- with with the way that A and M's defense is playing right now against that really powerful Arkansas rushing attack. The question is whether or not Zach Calzada is going to be able to actually go out there and perform in a neutral site. Will he be able to make the throws that he needs to? We saw him do it late against Colorado. He was not doing it all day consistently. Even against New Mexico, Texas A&M was only able to put up 34 points. You wonder whether or not this Arkansas secondary is going to force him into a couple of turnovers. Jalen Catalan is a guy that I'm definitely going to be looking at. How does he match up? Turnover machine. Right. How many times is uh, Calzada going to look his way or look in his direction are they going to try and keep the ball away from a guy like him how simplified is the offense too I think that's something you have to look at is last week they played New Mexico you could have done anything and you could have scored okay right barren wasteland all right I mean they very much so they could have just done anything and scored but when Hanks King got hurt did this offense revert back to square one in terms of installation of the scheme for this year and game plans how much how how simplified is it going to be and you don't really get to know that until they play Arkansas because that's the first legitimate competition they have and what A&M elects to do on the offensive side of the ball will either a tell you what they believe they can do or b they're going to try to do it and then it's going to tell you what they can do right you you're going to leave that game either a knowing what A&M believes they're able to do because they didn't try certain things they could just cuz they didn't think that they could do it or B, you're going to find out, and they are going to find out what they can't do with Calzada at quarterback, you know? And so what we saw between A&M and Colorado, I don't care who the quarterback was, man. Minnesota went out the next week and beat Colorado 30-0. to mm-hmm. I don't care who the quarterback was. 10-7 to is ridiculous. That's getting pushed around in the trenches. And Arkansas did that to the Texas counterpart a couple of weeks ago. They could do it again here. I, I, I picked this game as an upset in the offseason. It looks more and more legitimate as we get closer to it. I want to throw out just a fun fact here about uh, the Texas A&M-New Mexico game. This is something that, that uh, Saturday Down South pointed out. New Mexico's quarterback actually had more starts in College Station than Calzada has. He Terry Wilson wow. has actually gotten to play at Kentucky. He got to start a game in College Station. That game, I believe, went to overtime, if I'm not mistaken, that Kentucky A&M game. But uh yeah just a random fun fact yeah definitely there. not the new mexico a&m game that did not go to overtime <laughs> yeah no 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 i'm just <laughs> that's a blowout thrown out there terry yeah. wilson has two starts uh at college station and it was more at the time than uh than uh, zach calzada but yeah this a&m arkansas game like you said you picked an upset as an upset in the offseason i said that arkansas was going to win this game as well we're going to see if we were right our guts months ago we're going to see if they were correct i have a feeling that they will be if arkansas is able to establish the ground game I think they'll be able to. A&M's given up a lot on the ground at this point, at least by teams that have sufficient rushing attacks. And I think you can say Kent State has that in the MAC, and then Colorado, that's all they can do. And, um, of course, we're going to see – we've seen Arkansas able to do that already against a school that has supposedly better recruits in Texas, but it obviously did not pan out on the football field. A&M's got a good defense. I think they'll be able to limit what Arkansas wants to do on offense because – I think Arkansas is going to struggle to throw the football. Mm-hmm. They're they're rather one-dimensional at this point. If A&M sells out to stop the run, can the passing attack get the points that they need? I, I don't think that this is going to be a blowout by any means. A&M is going to come to play. Jimbo Fisher is going to scheme it in a way 
to avoid the, the issues of Calzada and, and to maximize what he does do well. Could that be enough to beat Arkansas? It just depends. It just depends who wins in the trenches. I think it really does come down to that. That's it for hour number one of On the Line. Hour number two coming up. on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on foxsports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw at ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Hour number two of the show, a fun hour number one in the books. If you missed any of it, go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Lance, fun hour number one. Yeah, absolutely, and we uh, we are talking about our gut there at the end of hour number one. Some of these games in the top 25 that we could see go wrong. We could see some upsets this weekend. A lot of fun in hour number one. SEC schedules were revealed. We got to figure out that the SEC hates Arkansas, and Auburn gets to open up the season five straight home games. A lot of great stuff in hour number one. Take me through our first segment of hour number two. Hour number two, we've got making headlines. Got some interesting headlines for you here Obviously, SEC revealing the 2022 football schedule. Just some interesting, uh, interesting matchups. Like I said, to uh, to start the show, weeks one through three, something that we weren't able to get to. Just looking at some of these non-conference matchups all the way across the board. Florida opens the season at home against Utah. Oregon plays Georgia and Atlanta. I believe that's going to be the Chick Fil A kickoff game. LSU plays Florida State, New Orleans. Uh, Mississippi State plays uh, Memphis week one. And in week three, A&M plays Miami. Uh, Auburn obviously plays Penn State. Alabama week two plays Texas. Uh, Tennessee plays Pitt. A&M also gets to play Appalachian State. That should be a fun game. Yeah, just a lot of fun non-conference games. And it's something that I really appreciate. And I, I, don't, I may be wrong on this, but the fact that the SEC has expanded their fun non-conference schedule from outside of just week one and two to they're expanding it into week three. And then you even see Arkansas in the middle of the season going on the road to play BYU. I mean, it's just, it's, it's really fun. It's really entertaining football to get these kinds of schedules. Of course, breaking down these schedules, you look at some concerning trends, at least in my mind, when I look at the Auburn schedule. Yes, I like the first five games. The positives, I like the first five games. They're all at home. You get eight home games. You get LSU, you get Texas A&M, you get Penn State. I think the Arkansas game ought to be fun next year you've got a good home schedule next year two thumbs up for season ticket holders right like grinning ear to ear for myself I'm gonna enjoy it right but I don't like the start of the SEC schedule and we talked about that a lot in hour number one you asked for this LSU Georgia Ole Miss you asked for this to happen when you tried to move Georgia out of amen corner in November and after seeing how the schedules have come out of the oven to start here last year this year and the next year i don't like what is being produced to open up the sec season 
It's definitely really tough. It feels like the schedule makers, they try to cram all the yellow and blue teams in the first part of the schedule. In the back half, it's just red and maroon and crimson. <laughs> but, yeah, you uh, to open up the season, uh, Missouri, and then you go LSU, Georgia, Ole Miss, and then Arkansas potentially could still be a top 25 somewhere hovering around there next season. It's a, it's a tough ask for an Auburn team that's going to lose a lot when you look at the offensive line and defensively you're going to lose McLean and, and potentially Papo as well. Also, I've never been a fan of moving something or changing something just because we think it's going to be easier because it doesn't always work out that way. And yes, I'm also referring to Auburn folks that want to see Auburn play in the SEC East as it stands right now. I've never really been that big of a fan of those arguments or Auburn moving to the ACC or some outlandish thing or like that, right? And nobody's really ever said that seriously, but I just don't want to make things easier just for the sake of making things easier. I, I, that, that, that's not a good philosophy to live by in life, you know? Like, don't avoid challenges, right? And that's not me saying, and I don't want to sound hypocritical because I know I just said one of my critiques of, of the way that this has turned out since you moved Georgia out of Amen Corner is that I don't like the way that the SEC schedule has turned out. But did, did it really help you that you moved it out of that you moved it out of November because you've still lost to them last year early in the season and it kind of derailed your year. Yeah, let's just be real; it kind of derailed your 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 season last year. And then you've had some special years where you beat both of them in November and it gave you a shot to get into the college football playoff where if if you didn't have Georgia and Alabama at the end of 2017, well, I'm pretty confident Auburn would have lost to Georgia earlier in the year because look at what happened against LSU. But if you didn't have Georgia and Alabama at home at the end of this season, you don't have the special year that was 2017 and you don't go into that SEC championship game as the number two team in the country as a two loss team you've got to be able to and the and the way that Auburn would have been able to do that is having those two teams late in November if they got Georgia early in the season it wouldn't have been as as big of a uh, resume booster at least right and so uh, on the one hand don't ever don't ever shy away from a challenge no matter what time of year that you're playing these teams whether it's late September early October late November whatever it's happening you got to beat them right so I mean that that argument applies to both whether it's the way it is now or what it was but I liked it better when it was in November it produced some really special schedules some really memorable ball games I don't think because Auburn was playing them back to back that it had anything to do like like just because you separated Georgia and Alabama in those seasons does not mean that you would have won those football games the years that Auburn got embarrassed by Alabama and Georgia they got embarrassed by Alabama and Georgia because Auburn wasn't good had nothing to do with the fact that they were back to back yep so I, I I don't know I just I just think at the end of the day you got to plan where it's scheduled and you know right now it's it's in late September early October and that's just what you got to do with so beat them now but it definitely is not a uh, fun looking start of the SEC schedule and your home game against LSU at Georgia and then your uh, home game against or a road game against Ole Miss next year but that was our first headline on making headlines second headline Lance Lane Kiffin only follows two people on Instagram and actually early uh, yesterday afternoon early morning it was it was only one person and that was Arch Manning and now he follows both Arch Manning and Matt Corral man that's awesome I think that's hilarious I love it I think that's a good recruiting po- uh, recruiting pitch though right or or like a you look at the history of the the Manning family it runs deep through Oxford it does of course Peyton Manning spurned it and went to Tennessee went to Knoxville but maybe spurned isn't the right word because it worked out great for him and and he maybe he wanted to carve out his own path you know so like that that I I don't mean anything negative by that um 
I like the fact that he played in Tennessee. Actually, I think it, I think it adds a little bit more diversity to the fact that would have. I like the fact that he went to to Tennessee and it wasn't all just running through Ole Miss, you know. But um, I, I think this would be really cool if he ended up at Ole Miss. But I mean, think about just this random high school football player, and, and I hope the fame hasn't gone to his head or anything like that. But just this, and he's not some random high school football player. But just imagine any high school football player out there, and you're getting recruited, and you're in a major head coach in college football. And one of the smoothest and most charming, probably on the recruiting trail in Lane Kiffin, like you're the only guy he follows. Right. That's kind of that's got to make you feel special. And then Corral texted co- Coach, and he's like, "Coach, where's my follow?" And he's like, "Oh, <laughs> gotcha, right there. There you go." Uh, at, at the same time, while I think it's entertaining, and I love the fact that he's constantly recruiting, and this is a really good way to do that. Um, it it uh, it it shows. I don't necessarily know. On the surface, it shows where his his focuses lie, and I think some fans and some even players may may take that as a is he not focusing on us right now? Um, is, are we not deserving of being of being I guess getting that follow or something like that? But when you look into it, I mean, it's just social media. This is just another way for 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 Kiffin to go out there and recruit. I think it's perfectly fine. Speaking of Lane Kiffin, though, Paul Feinbaum on the College Football Podcast done by ESPN this past weekend suggested that Lane Kiffin and USC would be a great match, would be a great fit, a great reunion. Thoughts on this? Do you think that? Do you think that's true? Do you think uh, that would be I a wish, good matchup? I wish seven years ago hadn't happened. Mm-hmm. I wish that the failure had been at UCLA or Stanford or somebody like that, that it was not at USC because if it wasn't at USC – I think this is a great fit. Yes. I think if Lane Kiffin, if, if the past had not happened, if they didn't have the baggage, I think this would have been an excellent fit because Lane Kiffin, I think, is getting to the point now where we've seen enough since he went to Florida Atlantic three, four years ago. I think we're beginning to see enough that um, that he's matured, that he's grown up, that he's ready for this. And even back then, you look at his coaching career, he's only had one season that he finished with a losing record. And I think he went six and seven. As a coach... He's got an all-time winning record. He really is not a failure. He just never really finished anything prior to the stints, prior to rehab with Alabama. You know, like he went to coaching rehab at Alabama. And prior to that, he really hadn't finished anything. Jumped ship at Tennessee immediately, ended up at USC, was left on the tarmac, right? But he finished things at Florida Atlantic, set that program on a good trajectory, won a lot of ball games. Now he's at Ole Miss, and he's building this thing up, right? Like, I'm very impressed with him at this point. I'm just curious as to whether or not he's going to stick it out with Ole Miss for a couple more years to see it through and and see the the peak uh, of his coaching career with the Rebels, or is he going to, like we've talked about uh, over the past week or so, is he going to go to a place like Florida State, Miami, USC? He will be connected. If he has a good year this year, he will be connected to several high-profile locations that could be searching for head coaches. LSU. USC, Miami, Florida State, all of these places could be looking for coaches. Now, do I think he would go across? Do I I even think LSU would would pursue him? I don't know. Something about that in my gut does not feel right about him leaving to a divisional rival. Like I I just don't know if that would happen. But and I don't think that he would go to USC. I I don't even think USC will consider him as a candidate. You know why? Because there's a pride element there. Yep. You are the University of Southern California, one of the top institutions historically in college football you are not going to go back to the dude that you fired and left on the tarmac that's kind of like admitting that you were wrong right like they broke up that's like you admitting that you were wrong after you broke up and that that's not 
that's not a place that a lot of people go to right and that was not a that was not a clean split either that was an ugly split that was that was nasty okay they, they literally left the dude at an airport like that is not that is not the way <laughs> that that relationship should have ended <laughs> okay and I don't think that it's necessarily made for good grounds for him to go back to USC. And I know this was just Paul Feinbaum talking, you know, but I thought it made for an interesting story. And you could see some articles out there about writing it. That's how I saw it. And so I thought it made for an interesting topic. I don't think he'll end up back at USC, but I wish that he had not been a coach there already because if he had failed somewhere else, maybe if he, maybe he was fired in Knoxville, maybe he had gone three or four years at Tennessee and then he failed, right? And he got fired out of there and went back to go and coach with Nick Saban. Maybe that would have been better than him not having coached uh, than him having coached at USC because I think he would have been a really great candidate for them at this point. Well, I think you made a good point there talking about the pride element. I think on both sides of this with Kiffin and USC, it's like, would you want to go back to a place like that if you're Kiffin just just simply because of your pride? Like, I don't know. And like, I think it's pride on both sides. Would USC want right. to even consider it? And then same with Link Kiffin. It's it's uh, I think it would be fun and like you said, had USC not happened years ago, it would have been a perfect matchup. But and USC is another program that I'm looking at right now, similar to Texas, where at some point you have to look at yourself in the mirror. Like, what are you doing that you're not succeeding? Because Texas is in one of the most fertile recruiting grounds in all of college football. USC is in Los Angeles, in the state of California, five star central, athlete central. You know, like this is a mecca of college football recruiting and usc can't seem to get out of their own way and win more than eight nine games on a regular basis you know like that 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 is not okay and that's why clay helton got fired immediately because they saw the trajectory that this year was going and so my thing is at some point usc has to look at them themselves in the mirror and say what are we doing wrong what how, how what are we looking for what is the identity what do we want out of this and then go and find a coach that matches it. And I, I just don't think that that's going to involve them going back to Lane Kiffin because what if he failed again? Now you're the school that got fooled twice. You know, like what if they brought Lane Kiffin back and then they fired him again within like four or five years? Yeah. Like, would you even want to risk that? Because then you're the laughing stock of college football because you hired a dude that you fired previously and then you failed and then he failed again and now you've you fired him again. And, and it's like you just can't figure like that would not be a good decision in hindsight so i don't think that there's any chance that this occurs yep fourth headline here the atlanta braves have hopped on a three game winning streak to stave off a push from the uh, philadelphia phillies they are currently sitting three games ahead in the nl east three game win streak for the braves doing the things that they need to do against the arizona diamondbacks one of the worst teams in all of baseball the phillies they're in a series with the orioles at the moment they actually dropped a game against the orioles a couple of nights ago yep Phillies on a one-game winning streak after winning last night. That that game that they dropped to the Orioles, that was crucial because that is why we're at three games right now instead of two. It's going to be a race to the finish line. Honestly, you're going to look at that Braves-Phillies series at the end of the month. You're going to be looking at that one as a, as a major that, – that, that one could decide it. And then following it, you've got the Mets. So the Braves' last six games, seven games, is going to be – it, it, it is a chance for you to make up for your failures at the beginning of the year when you were losing to divisional opponents left and right you were losing series to the marlins you were losing series to the phillies you were losing series to the nationals games that like now you wish that you had back because you would have had a much larger league going into these final these final days in the month of september when you, you've still got the padres coming up on the schedule 
it's not an easy last nine games to close out for the Braves here but you are going to it's going to be in your hands going into the last six going into your last two series and it's a chance for you to atone for your mistakes that you made at the beginning of the year and if you don't you don't deserve to be in the playoffs at the end of the day the way that I view this right now and the the league could be much larger I mean we had this as high as five and a half before the schedule got really difficult with all of the NL West series that they've had recently between the Dodgers the Giants a couple of series against the Rockies before things got rocky here but before things got very uh, when, when the NL West came here the Braves had a nice little lead it's closed back down we knew that it would we knew the Phillies were going to make a push it's in your hands and you're the one playing with the lead this is like going into the fourth quarter up by 10 points up by seven or 10 points up by a score I'll say up by a score it it is there for you to win it are are you going to go out there and win it and that's that's the question Braves have two more games left in their series against the Diamondbacks they are playing tonight uh at 840 then they've got a home game against the Padres then a three-game series on the road against the Padres like you mentioned that Phillies matchup the, the the series there starting September 28th and then to finish the season they've got the Mets at home the Phillies on the other hand they've got one more game against the Orioles then they have a four-game series at home against the Pirates the Braves on the road and then on the road at the Marlins so yeah you could be looking at that Phillies Braves series as the uh, the ultimate deciding factor as to who wins that division and like you said Noah you even we were talking about this when the when the season started about these games that Atlanta was losing to inferior competition it's like you're gonna want to have those back look where we are now only three games ahead also something else to factor in here and I, I don't know if you hey, I don't know if you guys have seen anything about this Sting can you go and try and find this for me because I haven't seen anything about it but you look back to Thursday September 16th earlier this month you had a game against the Rockies that got postponed and there was thoughts that they may stick that game at the end right after October 3rd after you play the Mets, which that game, like the Braves are missing a game right now. They do not have all 162 games on their schedule left out in front of them. The Rockies game, according to ESPN right now, on their schedule has not been placed back in there. That game could become very important. That game could become decisive. I mean, that is how close this is. To me right now, and Stink says he hasn't found anything, to me right now, this is like going into the fourth quarter of a football game up by seven. You started out down in the hole. You were you were down by, you know, you were down by a couple scores early. You battled it back. You go to the fourth quarter now, and you're up by seven. That's where you're at. But or or maybe even it's a field goal's distance. Maybe it's even closer than a touchdown. Maybe you're only up by a field goal, and you need to go. Yeah, I like that analogy more. It's like a field goal because you still need the touchdown to put the game over. You need to get to that two score distance, and you've got an opportunity to do that when you play your NL East opponents like the Phillies and the Mets in your last six and honestly like you you don't need to fall apart against the Diamondbacks or the Padres you don't need to fall apart against them you need to you know at least split go two and three three and two but even if you do you're going into that Philly series with a tied division lead like like it's tied at that point so so even if things go you know kind of so-so over these next five and and honestly you'd like to beat Arizona over the next two games and then get to that series against the Padres maybe you go one and two against them and you don't do what you want to do on the road even going into those last six, you, it should still be a one-game lead or, or it should be tied at the top. And once again, I go back to, it's in your hands. It is in your hands to be able to go and and win the, and atone for your mistakes and, and win the division. So it's in front of them. The Braves have battled it to a, a chance for them to take the division, and they're in a good spot. But you just you got to close out strong. you got to close out strong. You're not, it's not like you're playing the, the Dodgers or the Giants or anything like that. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. On the other side of this break, we get to our report Wednesday segment. What do we expect to see from Georgia State schematically this weekend? Stay tuned. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Roaring through the Wednesday edition of the show. It's Wednesday, and that means Report Wednesday. Got a scouting report on the Georgia State Panthers. Going to take you through what we know about Georgia State, what we expect to see schematically, what are the strengths and weaknesses for the Panthers We've got all that stuff here for you over our next couple of segments. Lance, let's get into Report Wednesday. What do you expect to see from Georgia State schematically on Saturday? What can Tiger fans expect? Well, offensively, they're an option-style team. They, Even though they only average 175 rushing yards per game, which is 55th nationally, they are going to try and run the ball. Spread option-style team. We have to option. differentiate Sorry. here. <laughs> it's, a, it's an option-style team, but it's spread option because they do throw the ball a little bit more than, uh, than, than traditional option teams. They they're also line up in the shotgun. Currently a little over, uh, I believe, I believe it's a th- two-thirds of their plays so far this season have been running plays so they have yes actually the run pass split i have that for you it is 66 34 there you go so exactly two-thirds uh they're 121st nationally in passing yards per game at 119 Ew. we did see them take quite a few shots in the win over charlotte which is typical for an option style team right you run the ball run the ball run the ball when you have to throw it you're gonna throw it deep although on the plays against charlotte it didn't look like your 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 option style where you're under center and then you you crawl all the way back like 10 yards and then you throw the ball and it's just the receivers open it was just taking shots down the sidelines and the receivers were able to win matchups but yeah the the offense like you said it's a, it's a spread a spread option style they do want to try and run the ball and that kind of plays into what Auburn wants to do which is stop the run so if if uh, if their quarterback uh, Darren uh, Granger I believe is the, is his name if he uh, is going to have any success Saturday he's going to want to take a couple of shots deep to test this Auburn secondary uh, but other than that uh, running the ball is probably not going to be very effective against Auburn and something that terrifies me with option teams and I don't think Georgia State is by the book option like that is not what they are and I don't want people to take that away from here like this is not Georgia Southern this is not Air Force this is not Army this is that's not what Georgia State does they, they got a lot of read option concepts and they are doing some they are working in some you know triple option concepts into it but what ter- terrifies me terrifies me about wing T triple option teams even teams that even run it out of the shotgun like Georgia Southern what absolutely terrifies me is cut blocks protect your knees okay it terrifies me because like and I remember 2017 when we were doing the lunch break and uh when Zach and I were doing the lunch break I remember talking about the Georgia Southern game and, and being concerned about a massive injury to someone on the defensive line because of a cut block I don't think that that's as big of a concern here with the way that Georgia State's running it. They run a lot of zone. That they are running a lot of zone. Uh, I actually think it's uh, looking at the the split. I mean, I think they've only actually ran like t- like fifteen power run plays this year. That, that's hardly none at all when you compare it to how often they're running the football. Most of it is zone. So I'm not too concerned about them. Uh, about them chopping down players around their knees and whatnot. Is this uh, is this just the poor man's version of 2013-2014 Auburn in terms of spread option style, what they're going to try I think it's do? a lot more similar to that it's than it bit... would be to Georgia Southern and what they do. After watching them on, on film, it seems just like a simpler version of what Malzahn yeah. was trying to do. 
I go back to, uh, you know, I, I remember a while back you said that you were watching a lot of Akron film. Yes. You've been watching a lot of Georgia State film? No, not as much. Okay, I, only, I, only, I only watched uh, just about 25 minutes or so. Did you recover from the Akron film? Oh, it was that was brutal. Like, having to watch that, it was just like, this team is just it's so bad. Like, I could walk on, bro. <laughs> I'll tell you, Georgia State's not very good either. This team's a lot worse than you and I expected. And I know they played North Carolina. That's going to affect some of their numbers. But Army and Charlotte... I mean, they, they beat Charlotte by 11, but Army handled them. Yeah, absolutely. And this team we thought was going to be pretty good because of the experience that they had. They were, cur- uh, according to Bill Connolly, they were 10th in the nation in, in terms of returning production at 92%. And I thought Cornelius Brown the fourth was going to be their guy. He was the quarterback last year, but after two really subpar performances, like you mentioned, against Army, against North Carolina, they went with Darren Granger, and he was, I believe, 6 of 12 against Charlotte for 139 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. The, the offense has not been relatively explosive, uh, even though we did see them say take a, take a couple of shots. They're 105th nationally in third down conversion rate. Uh, they're tied for 111th nationally in turnover margin. Can't throw. They just can't throw the they football, can't throw. and they can't, uh, they can't continue, continue to sustain drives. And you and I thought going into the year looking at these guys that they were going to be able to stretch the field a little bit. They had some good receivers last year. They have a quarterback that's got a big arm, but believe it or not, he is sharing time right now with another QB. Cornelius Brown the fourth had a great year last year, but in terms of snap count right now, uh, he and Darren Granger are sharing a lot of time, and Darren Granger seems to be the better rusher. Yeah, Granger, when you look at the rushing attack for Georgia for uh, Georgia State, they have four rushers that have gone for over 100, not, not in a game, just on the season. On the season. Uh, gone over 100 yards rushing. Uh, so they're going to have a bunch of different guys in the backfield running with them. And uh, Cornelius Brown, you talk about the snap count. Brown played the entire first two games of the season, and then in Charlotte he didn't get to play. Uh, it, it was the it was the Darren Granger, Granger show. Yeah. They're going to try. They tried to go with him because all Cornelius did in the first two games was complete a little over fifty uh, percent of his passes, averaged four point three yards per attempt, and threw two interceptions and no touchdowns. Well, Granger on the year, you look at it, uh, he's been the better runner according to Pro Football Focus with yep. his ru- with his rushing grade at sixty three point four to Cornelius Brown's forty five point eight. And, um, you know, I, I go back to what this team's going to want to do. They're going to want to run the football a lot. They're a zone running team uh, in terms of rushing direction. Look for a lot of stuff to the left side of the line of scrimmage. I think this plays into right exactly what Auburn wants to do. Auburn is a great run stopping team. They're going to be able to hold the point of attack, if not bust into the backfield and get penetration. You remember the shade we got on social media back during the offseason about how we talked about this offensive line at Georgia uh, at Georgia State and I I don't think they're going to be able to do a whole lot against Auburn in this game no they're probably not going to be able to get a whole lot of push and you talk about Auburn trying to to get better in pass coverage if Georgia State throws the football at all this uh this game Auburn's gonna have to go out there and just start to work out the kinks because I just don't see Georgia State sustaining a lot of drives we'll continue with report Wednesday on the other side of this break Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. 30 minutes left in the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Continuing on with Report Wednesday. What are the strengths and weaknesses for the Panthers? What can Auburn expect when they play Georgia State this Saturday? We're trying to give you the facts, trying to give you the information that you need to know so that you know, you're, you're a little prepared going into the ballgame because you may not know anything about Georgia State 
when you go into Jordan-Hare Stadium on Saturday. Strengths for this Georgia State team. I'm going to make it really easy for everybody, and then we'll dig in with some real numbers here. I'm going to make it real easy. Strengths are anything to do with the running game, offense or defense. Yep. Weaknesses, anything to do with the passing game, offense or defense. This team does not do uh, – this team does not throw the ball well, and they do not defend the pass well. They run the ball pretty well – and they stop the run against the competition that they've played against, I'll say fairly well as well. I, I don't see a whole lot of strengths on this Georgia State team. They're a lot worse than I expected them to be. But if I had to point to something, right now they're only averaging 4.3 yards per carry. That's not exactly where I'd like to see it at uh, if this team truly was great at, at running the football. But you have to take into account they did play North Carolina for their second game. But still, I don't think they ran the ball great against Army, nor did they do that against Charlotte. Still only scored like 20 points last week so they're running the ball fine like if you're pointing to a strength on the offense it's got to be the running game and that's centered around two mobile quarterbacks but they can't throw the ball for for anything on the offensive side of the ball right now only averaging like 119 pass yards per game that is horrible yeah in terms of in terms of strengths it's definitely got to be the run game for for the offense and in terms of weaknesses like you said Pass game has just not been there this season. And then the, the I will say the rush defense, they're giving up 192 rushing yards a game. You think about what Auburn's going to want to do in this game, Bigsby and Hunter are going to feast. And, and yes, they are giving up 192. That may be skewed a little bit, though, by the Army game. Sure. And I look at the yards per carry total then after th- knowing that they played a triple option team in week one. I look at the yards per carry. They're only giving up four yards per carry which based off of their competition at their level in the Sun Belt, I would say, yeah, that's a pretty good Sun Belt rush defense. Will it matter against Auburn? No. Auburn should be able to feast and do what they want on the ground. But you even go back to the North Carolina game. UNC put up over 200 rushing yards on them, but only five yards a carry. That's not as jarring as I expected it to be when I saw that they were giving up 192 yards on the ground per game. I, I don't know. Do you have the same feelings? I, I, at the same time, though, Auburn currently leads the nation in yards per rush attempt, and they've got yeah. one of the best running backs in, in the country in Tank Bigsby. And Auburn actually is on pace to have their best rushing season since 2013. Oh, I'm not saying Auburn's going to struggle at all. No, I'm just saying, I'm just looking at Georgia State, strengths, sure. Yeah, I would say that that would be what their strength would be on the defensive side of the football, is especially bending, good, bending but not breaking in the run game. Yeah, and I mean the Pro Football Focus grades definitely support this. They had a 65.4 run defense grade against Army, which is just kind of above average. It's fine. 59.4 against North Carolina, so really not that big of a drop when they played an even better team than army and then they had an 89.3 against charlotte which which is great that is going to be one of the better grades and run defense from all of last week you also look at tackling grades against army and charlotte they were 74.6 against army charlotte they had 78.1 north carolina 55.2 to be expected auburn is going to be able to break tackles against them because auburn's just better players but i'm just saying against the the competition that's more in their realm They've actually been pretty decent at stopping the run and only giving up four yards per carry. Will it matter against Auburn? No, it won't matter whatsoever. You get to the other side, though. You get you get back a couple of levels to the secondary. Coverage grades are horrible. They're giving up 17 yards per catch. Opposing quarterbacks this year, 39 for 63, 662 yards passing, 17 yards per reception, seven touchdowns, zero picks. Uh, I think Auburn's going to be exercising their passing game against georgia state to work out some kinks from what we saw in happy valley i just like they did i mean they threw the ball against akron they threw the ball against alabama state i expect bo Nix to be working out his receivers against gsu at this point in the season 
do you start to make adjustments in that receiver room and you start to 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 maybe work some new guys in I think you're going to see some new bodies on Saturday now how deep does it go this coaching staff has not veered away from the starters that much when it's been time for the starters to be in you look at the first two games it was those receivers like it, it was it was those three they it was Johnson Jackson I mean of course Johnson did miss a game due to injury but it, it was Jackson Robertson those guys received a lot of targets that really have not moved out, out from those guys even John Samuel Shanker is receiving a brunt of the targets at this point he's one of the leading receivers on this Auburn football team right now the tight end position my man it's awesome I love it it, it, it has been a major wrinkle for Auburn this year that I think has really benefited them and helped them move the ball at times against Penn State on Saturday I think you continue to see some of that maybe you see more tight ends worked into the game you definitely saw more tight end names called on Saturday against Penn State you also have to weigh into this how much is Auburn going to keep from keep off a film for LSU and Georgia coming up on the horizon because at this point we've seen Auburn run a lot of base we've seen them throw some different things on film they've just kind of been slowly but surely building off of it I don't think we've truly seen the depths of this full Auburn offense just yet and I think they're going to continue to expand as the season goes on. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you're, you're going to have Johnson back uh, as a healthy receiver. And that was not a question of me to say, let's take Shedrick Jackson completely out of the equation. No, I'm you're just, just saying, work some other guys in. Let's see what Sevion Capers and Elijah Canyon have to do or have to prove on the outside. Let's see, now that Johnson is healthy, let's, let's get him uh, going. Let's get Malcolm Johnson Jr. involved a little bit more as well. I just want to see this receiver room expand on their options right now because they are still so inexperienced heading into conference play. If you're going to take some shots on Georgia State, and like you mentioned, the numbers prove this would be a good team to do it against, let's see if how many guys we can work into this and let's see who our best players are. And you definitely need to be practicing route running, being in the right mm-hmm. positions, pass blocking. I don't think that's going to be a major concern. Obviously, one of, now looking at the pro football focus grades for Georgia State, one of the better things that they've got in terms of, of grading on pro football focus, which you do need to take that with a grain of salt. I think it's a great tool, but also you know it doesn't always show you the entire picture picture because it's stats and metric driven but they're got pretty decent pass rush grades that has not been the issue for them on that side of the football according to pro football focus at this point they've been above 63.5 for every single game that they played this year and uh that 63.5 was against north carolina so you know just kind of average to above average but um that that hasn't been the issue for them it's been the coverage for them that has been a problem and I expect Auburn to to work their receivers out this weekend, getting them, you know, trying to make them better at running their routes, focusing on not dropping the football, correcting the issues that we saw against Penn State from these receivers, making sure that they're in the right positions and continuing to build chemistry with Bo Nix. Bo's going to have time to throw. It's going to be very similar to those first two games that you saw against Akron and Georgia uh, and Alabama State. Right so, now, the line is set at 27. Do you think that's fair for this game? Oh, Auburn covers. I don't know if Auburn's going to hang 60 because I, I do think Georgia State is a cut above Akron and Alabama State, but I do expect Auburn to, they're going to get, if they don't hit 50, they will get there. Like if they don't hit 50, they will be right, right there, right underneath it. I expect Auburn to throw up a lot of points, big plays. I mean, it, 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 I expect Auburn fully to be able to still connect on the big passing plays that they connected on the first two weeks. If they don't, I'm going to begin to wonder if Bo Nix has taken a step back. And we saw, I mean, we saw in the environment last last week, we 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 saw moments where he had proven it's like, oh well, he's taken a step forward. He's not. He's he's kind of strayed away from some tendencies. But. Right. But on the flip side, and I, you're 100 percent correct. You and I have talked about that at length. On the flip side, though, just kind of playing devil's advocate with you, an area where he continued to struggle. Did he hit a deep ball? No. 
Yeah, I mean, he hit but like 20-yard routes here and there on, on like seams, but... At the same time, it's like, that's why I'm t- talking about the receivers. It's the receivers yeah. that he was throwing to. It's some, they didn't help him out. They, d- they didn't get a whole lot of separation. Although I will say, let's work on the shot to Demetrius Robertson. Let's work on that deep ball because he was open a couple of times on Saturday. There a were a couple. Ago. You know, I think you can put some of the blame on the receivers. I also think you can put some of the blame on Bo Nix because he was throwing some. You know, he missed Demetrius Robertson twice where Robertson did get separation. Threw one completely out of bounds uh, throughout the ba- through the back of the end zone. And then he threw another one that ended up out of bounds where Robertson never located the football. He was on the far, he was on the left sideline. Right. Uh, it would have been bottom of your screen when you were watching the game and it sails over his head and out of bounds. Even if, it, even if he did know where the football was, that's not catchable. It went out of bounds. Right. And even if the ball was located and where it was, was on the sh- sideline, Robertson had broken free to a point where if you were going to try and place the ball somewhere, it would be out and in front of him, not to his back shoulder. You wouldn't yeah. try to make him adjust to that. You were going that's for a very the- difficult catch yeah you're if you're, you're gonna put it out in front of him you're not gonna put it away and out out from him it's like you can't ask the receiver to do that when he's gotten separation he's going to a certain spot but with that being said on those two plays I also do remember Bo Nix encountering pressure mm-hmm. and Penn State was able to get in the backfield and he had to un, he had to uncork it quickly and that's going to affect your accuracy on a downfield ball there's a reason why it's difficult to complete passes downfield and not everything was perfect on those plays. Now, I would like my quarterback, though, to be able to succeed despite imperfect circumstances because any coach will tell you uh, receivers are going to be out of position, receivers aren't going to be the best route runners, and you're not always going to have perfect protection in the pocket. And the best quarterbacks, what have we talked about so often, Lance? The best quarterbacks are trucks, not trailers. Exactly, and we're going to need to see Bo before he heads over to Baton Rouge. We're going to need to see him continue to progress and maybe work on that deep ball accuracy little bit but once again going back to it that was just us playing devil's advocate pointing out some things right uh it's not nitpicking i mean those are things that we saw but also think that you saw positives from them against penn state to where you can legitimately see yes bo nix has improved as a quarterback he was doing things that we did not see him do in the road environments over his first two years of his career at auburn so that's why i said when i was talking about this georgia state game you're going to get the same opportunities that you had against akron and alabama state if i start to see him overshooting guys and throwing them five ten yards ahead of them and missing them downfield with all the time in the pocket i'm going to be worried going into the lsu game about his ability to connect on those shots downfield because the corners that he will be playing against against lsu those guys are going to force you to make perfect throws downfield they're not going to give you easy stuff now lsu you we can talk about the scheme we can talk about how you know how ucla was able to carve them up but they still have excellent man-to-man corners and when something is being thrown downfield you're going to have to you can't underthrow it against those guys they'll pick it off you overthrow it it's going to be an incompletion they're going to make bonex make near perfect throws downfield and i think he's going to have time to throw against lsu lsu's pass rush doesn't scare me too much it's just the accuracy downfield being able to connect on that and if he struggles this week i'm going to begin to wonder did the game at penn state get to him I don't know. Has, is that a feeling that you maybe have at this point? I don't know. I don't think that it's that it's truly gotten to him because it never seemed like it really got to him during the game. That's right? true. Like he it, handled it well. The the shot plays where he was overthrowing it, it seemed like he was a little dinged up because I think he he uh, roughed his shoulder. shoulder up yep, early. that's true. So if he's healthy for this game moving forward, I do have confidence in that he will continue to progress. Also, want to point out while he did almost throw a couple of picks. Still hasn't thrown an interception this season. He's on pace to finally break 20 touchdowns for the year. You can't call the man Bo Picks anymore, I don't feel like. He's definitely taking steps forward. I don't think that was fair to begin with. It wasn't. It was because like two he, games. Exactly. It was two games. Florida, 
South Carolina. No, and they were it was one each season. I mean, I, he's not been a super turnover prone quarterback in his career. He's just had a couple of games that stood out as outliers in his first two years. I think he's done a pretty good job of protecting the football. But you and I also asked ourselves during the offseason before the year got started, was that a factor of scheme? Was Auburn just not putting him, was Auburn protecting him from being able to throw interceptions with an elementary passing scheme? And I think that's definitely possible. They're opening up the field a little bit more now. And I still think he's, although he's had a couple of throws, namely on stuff out in the flats and stuff a little bit more shallow where receivers are jumping that, um, to be fair, the, the pick that he almost threw to Shanker that DB knew where the ball was going in the Penn State game. That was that was an out route to a tight end, and we have seen that play hammered this year. Mm-hmm. At this point, that DB knew where the football was going. Shabonix had pulled the trigger. No, but that DB knew where the football was going. And uh, I, I think outside of you know one or two throws in the Penn State game and one throw in the Alabama State game, he's he's protected the football and made the right decisions, and he's been decisive. He was decisive in the Penn State game. It just receivers didn't help him out. Yep, and uh, again going back to what I was saying about this matchup with Georgia State these receivers I want to see as many guys out there as possible I want to see Elijah Canyon and and Capers get involved because they it, I've seen them make make catches in the past they've caught balls from Knicks like to see them line up on the outside and see what they can do let's take a quick break here when we come back we will take a look at our on the line ball the week four edition is here wrapping up the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. Lance, fun show today. Take everybody through what we've talked about. Well, to open the show, we talked about the 2022 football schedule for the SEC being released, broke down Auburn's schedule, broke down Alabama's schedule, and just kind of went through all the fun different matchups between weeks one and three, gave our impressions, our takeaways. Uh, We also talked about the team that we believe to be the biggest threat to Alabama with just nine games remaining on the schedule. We talked about the top 25 this weekend. A lot of top 25 teams have fallen so far this, uh, this year gave some gave five matchups that we thought could potentially be upsets went through our making headlines segment Lane Kiffin only following two people on Instagram uh his quarterback and the quarterback that he wants after his quarterback is that I think he's got a pretty good shot man I really do and uh yeah absolutely if that's why I think that he's not gonna leave Ole Miss for like another year because I think he's gonna get arch and he's gonna try and play it out with him Try and win a natty? Maybe, potentially. That's Complete that's, the full circle. That's definitely on the table. Uh, we talked about Georgia State in our uh, weekly report Wednesday segment, what we expect the, uh, the Panthers to do schematically uh, and what they are good at and what they're not good at. They're not good at a ton of things, but if you were to pencil in a couple things that they, uh, that they have that are strengths, it's uh, running the football and bending but not breaking on the defensive side of the football when it comes to stopping the run. Well, now it's time as we wrap up our show for the On the Line poll. Of course, reminding everybody, this is not the AP Top 25 poll. This is all of us here in the studio ranking 25 teams and then us averaging it out just like the AP Top 25 would and put it together what we call the On the Line poll and our thoughts on this. So we're going to welcome intern Sting into the studio, one of our voters. Sting, how are you? I'm doing great, guys. Guys, I think we finally have a good set of rankings here i like this one i, I, I do. really do like this one. it finally worked itself out it, it, it did number one alabama two georgia we move oregon up to three four oklahoma five penn state six cincinnati seven ohio state eight florida nine iowa ten clemson 11 ole miss 12 texas a&m 13 notre dame 
14 Arkansas, 15 BYU, 16 Iowa State, 17 North Carolina, 18 Wisconsin, 19 Michigan State, 20 Michigan, 21 Coastal Carolina, 22 Auburn, 23 Fresno State, 24 UCLA, and 25 Kansas State. That's what we've came up with. That is our rankings here going into this week. And one that I want to look at immediately, Lance and I in our ballots had Penn State much higher than you, Jackson. What you holding back on? I'm I think Lance just, and I both had Penn State at five. I think I put him at six. I think right. I put him at four. So we really we we you and I had him pretty high. Yeah, I mean, I I had Penn State lower just because I might have had him then, at four. I mean, come to think of it, <laughs> I probably should have put them higher. I just didn't. Why? <laughs> I don't, You're bitter. I don't you know. Were I'm there. Maybe maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit bitter. But I I still just didn't like how they played against Wisconsin. So. I didn't really even like really how they played against Auburn. I mean, you got to think about against Auburn, they were kind of gifted a touchdown there in the second half. So I want to talk about this with you guys because in the AP poll, Iowa's ranked ahead of Penn State. But look at the resumes. Iowa has beaten Iowa State, who is still ranked top 15 right now. Indiana is not ranked. They're 1-2. and two. Penn State has beaten Wisconsin at their place, still ranked, and they beat Auburn, still ranked. Uh, who has the more impressive resume? It is a better res- resume. Penn State. Penn State. So Penn why State. are the voters behind on penn state here in the polls i'm really because not sure iowa hasn't lost also i want to go penn on state a, hasn't lost i, I know to, but i was i was put there first you can argue whether or not uh, it makes sense or if it's right or not but that's just how it works that. iowa hasn't lost it doesn't have to work like that two things number one even i got past my just obscene hatred for notre dame i had them you at did. 15 i in, saw in, that in this week's poll number two I want to go on a small rant here about the AP Top 25. For the first two weeks of the season, and this may still be the case now, but there were seven or eight people that were voting for Arizona who has still not won a game in their Top 25. That is, like, to, to complain about it is nitpicky, right? But you start to think about it on a larger scale. If you do that consistently, it'll either put a team in that doesn't deserve to be there or it'll pull a team out just based on the way that the averages and stuff work, right? And that could, at the end of the day cost a win on somebody's resume to either keep them out of the playoff it could cost a head coach his job because the the school is looking at us like well you've still not beaten x amount of top 25 teams it could cause so many different issues for ap voters for that to be the official poll for you to go out there and do things like that when it's just completely on i i understand putting in group of five teams that have not lost and have looked pretty decent i understand throwing in tcu there for fun i understand leaving some teams out that you just may not think might be good but to put in arizona a team that has still not won a game they have actually they actually have one of the longest losing streaks in all of college football i think it's at 15 now i know it's just not i don't want to just call out people's being not being professional but like guys this is the professional poll like if we're going to take this seriously seriously let's take it seriously yeah and let's try and do this fairly i just i just, I just well it's just to not watching that. the games yeah absolutely right. and i don't want to i'm what I think it's easy to not watch the game and still no. think that Arizona shouldn't be ranked. <laughs> this is not. This is not a. Yeah, are, they, are they all uh, voters from institutions in Arizona? Probably. Who knows? Probably, I, I will still. say uh, Jordan Hill. I'm not. I'm not calling him out because I don't. I'm not gonna hate on him for it. He didn't have Auburn in his poll. I'm not mad at that. That's what I'm saying is like stuff like that. Like if you can back that up, that's completely fine. But putting in an 0-3 Arizona team, it might have nobody might have done it this week, but it was certainly the case a couple of weeks ago. It's just it, you can't. That's not legitimate. Like, come on, guys. Yeah, yep. I agree completely. I mean, Kevin Sumlin destroyed that program. Rip. That is true. But uh, looking at our on-the-line poll right here and what we've put together for our rankings, BYU is a team that I'm interested about because through yeah. the first several weeks, we've seen massive overreaction in rankings 
and teams taking huge jumps. Iowa, one of those teams, and we we to talk about this tomorrow. I still think it's too early. BYU is the only I team don't. in our rankings that I think we I have a problem with at 15. I just don't see top 15 team with BYU at this point. Uh, but everything will shake out by the end. That's it for another edition of On the Line. We'll be back with you tomorrow, same time, same place. You know where to find us.